0: Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, the 10th of June. Uh, welcome to Conversations with Thought Leaders. Uh, my name's David Webley. I'm the founder of Granite Consulting and the co-founder of Conversations with Thought Leader Leaders. And um, I'm joining here from Melbourne, and I'm delighted to welcome Barry O'Reilly today, who's joining us from his home in San Francisco, I believe, Barry.
1: Yeah, pleasure to be here, David. Thanks for having yeah,
0: me. No problem. But what time is it over in San Francisco?
1: It's three o'clock in the afternoon. It's beautiful, sunny, you know, not a cloud in the sky. It's California dreaming here at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, So for those that that don't know me, um, Granite Consulting, we're a a recruitment consulting and talent engagement uh, specialist business. Um, We work all over the world. COVID-19 has presented an opportunity to really reimagine the workforce, the business landscape and the way you engage people. So, Um, some really innovative things happening all over the world regarding talent engagement and uh, empowering workforces in the new remote uh, world. Um, So happy to discuss that with people, just get in touch with me. And Conversations with Thought Leaders is the platform we've created to unite our community further and to give people the opportunity opportunity to hear from inspirational um, people at the top of their game, such as Barry. Um, So before we Before I hand over to Barry, by way of uh, an introduction on, on Barry, for those that don't know him. So he's a business advisor, entrepreneur, and author. He's pioneered the intersection of business model innovation, product development, organizational design, and cultural transformation. He works with business leaders and teams from global organizations that seek to invent the future, not fear it. Every day he works with the world's leading companies to break vicious cycles that spiral businesses towards death by enabling a culture of experimentation and learnings to unlock insights required for better decision-making, high performance and results. He's written two bestsellers, Unlearn, which is Let Go of Past Successes to Achieve Extraordinary Results. There's a picture of this book on your screen now. And we're actually going to be... um, raffling off to five uh, random recipients um, copies of this book. So pretty excited for that. And he's also written another bestseller called Lean Enterprise, how high performance organisations innovate at scale. This was designated by the Harvest Business Review, a must read for CEOs and business leaders. He's an internationally sought after speaker. He's a, a frequent writer in The Economist, Strategy and business, MIT, MIT Sloan Management Review, as well as being faculty at Singularity. Um, in addition to that, he's co-founded Exec Camp and the management consultancy Antennae. I just wonder how you have time to do all of this, Barry. And his mission—his <laughs> yeah, mission is to help purposeful technology-led businesses innovate at scale. Um, so, without further ado, I, a couple of housekeeping things. There's um, questions as usual during the Q&A function. No need to wait to the end of the session. Just please fire the questions through. It'll be at the bottom of your screen. Uh, We've spoken about the book giveaway. Um, I'll hand over to Barry now. And how are you feeling today, Barry?
1: I'm feeling pretty good, you know, fun times really happy to share some of these examples now especially with your community uh, about the work I've been doing and you know hopefully you can inspire a little bit of action uh, for a lot of people out there Um, and again we'll have lots of time in the Q&A to talk a little bit more about some of these ideas and how you can start to apply them in your organization and so you know the way way I I like to start off is reflecting on the pandemic right the 1918 influenza pandemic known as the the Spanish flu was the most severe pandemic in recent human history? We had uh, 500 million people, or about 35 percent of the world's population, were infected with the virus. 50 million people worldwide actually ended up dying from it. And um, so it's always interesting if people, maybe even in the chat, you might guess, you know, why was it called the Spanish flu? Does anyone know that? Because um, even at the time, uh, you know, they didn't have any vaccines, so techniques like social distancing were were needed. But, you know, interestingly, you know, the reason it was called the Spanish flu is because we were still at the end of the world wars. So there was censorship of data or information between a lot of the European countries. And Spain was the actually only country, because it was neutral, that was reporting what was happening. And the king was one of the first people to contract the virus uh, publicly. So that's why it became known as the Spanish flu. So so obviously we're sort of experiencing some disruption uh, at the moment, you know, and we look, this isn't new for a lot of people in technology. You know, you look over 20 years ago, you had the largest organizations in the world. They were all about being as big as they can, be number one in their market, building moats around their businesses. Um, And that stayed the same for a long way until suddenly everything changed. These organizations that could build platforms that allowed them to rapidly learn and both unlearn how their customers worked with them. Um, have now started to really uh, disrupt the market. But, um, you know, and and this is a classic pattern that falls for most companies and leaders. They get into the notion that the things that made them successful in the past will be the things that make them successful in the future. But innovation doesn't really happen like that. It's much more of an exponential curve. And so when you might experience disruption in the market, it's new technologies that people didn't anticipate. They look pretty... um, innocuous initially, but then they accelerate. And then you'll see this in cloud computing a classic example. But really what I want to share with you about COVID is COVID is not a disruption. It's actually an accelerant. And what you're seeing is organizations that are digitally enabled are accelerating. The reason that the S&P 500 continues to go up here in the U.S., is because all the top five uh, technology companies are all at record highs because they're they're sucking in all the value from being digitally enabled. They can interact with their customers. They understand the patterns of behavior from their products, and that's why they're accelerating. And that's why you see the price of oil drop down to you know less than a dollar, and um, because those organisations aren't digitally enabled. Um, And so the truth I often say is disruption doesn't actually happen to organizations. The truth is it happens to individuals. You know, leaders get stuck believing the things that made them successful in the past will be the things that make them successful in the future. And when you get wedded to those existing behaviors, um, it's challenging. And so you need to start thinking about how you're creating or investing scenarios that you get uncomfortable, embrace uncertainty, and tackle situations where the results are unknown. You see when I started to research this notion of unlearning um it, one of the first references I found was by like Bo Henberg and what he would say is that as knowledge grows simultaneously other knowledge becomes obsolete as the reality changes so really we need a system to both learn uh, new information and unlearn what what is outdated information you know and and this is a very natural pattern in life you know just like we have products and they have features and we've got to continuously innovate our features for the product to stay relevant in its market. Humans have behavior. And if you're not continuously innovating your behavior in your market, you're essentially going to be uh, disrupted. So when I talk to people about unlearning, a lot of people actually get quite upset and they feel like I'm saying that their experience and knowledge is no longer relevant. And, and that's not the case. And um, unlearning is a system, a system to let you continuously adapt to changing circumstances. So the way I describe it is it's a process of letting go or reframing once useful mindsets or acquired behaviors that were effective in the past, but now may be limiting your success. So it's not forgetting, removing, or discarding knowledge or experience. It's the conscious act of letting go of outdated information and actively engaging and taking in new information to inform your decision-making and action. You know, and, and, and this is kind of interesting, again, when I'm coaching a lot of these senior executives and Fortune 500 companies or scaling businesses here in San Francisco. You know, I, what I continually found was that while learning new skills was tough, what was even harder was unlearning existing behavior, especially if it had made people successful in the past. You know, a lot of their feedback mechanisms are telling them they're doing the right thing. They're being promoted. They're getting uh, higher bonuses. They have more responsibilities. Uh, their business is growing you know so the question is why do i need to change and really you know what we've uh, most people have experienced already you know the thing that didn't drive change in your business over the last few uh, last year even it's not your business strategy it wasn't your bold vision it wasn't your cool kpis it was something that you actually didn't anticipate and really this ability to build the muscles continuously adapt to changing circumstances is a perennial skill. And if you can develop that, um, you're going to be very successful. So typically at this stage, most people are asking me, well, ha- how do I know, uh, you know what or when I might need to unlearn? So I'm going to ask you all to take a little minute and just think about these questions I'm going to ask you. These are prompting questions to help you get a signal about where maybe some of your existing behavior or thinking is not working. So the question I often ask people is, can you think of a situation uh, where you're not achieving the outcomes that you desire? Maybe you're not living up to the expectations you have for yourself. And maybe there's a situation you're struggling to resolve or a, a challenge that you're just totally avoiding. Maybe there's a situation where you've tried everything that you can think of and you're still not getting the desired results. So not achieving the outcomes you want, not living at getting the outcomes you're aiming for, situation you're struggling to evolve uh, resolve or totally avoiding maybe tried everything you can think of and you're not getting the breakthrough so most people will start to spin up a couple of uh, answers for these these sorts of questions and again they're all signals the challenge that pops into your mind is a a way of identifying that your existing behavior is not working and therefore you're going to need to adapt to unlearn you know and and what i found from coaching this to uh, people all over the world is This is sort of a system when people could diagnose where their existing behavior or or thinking was limiting their results um, and define what outcomes they were actually aiming for, then it was really just a matter of relearning, taking some steps that were most likely outside their comfort zone that are unnatural to them or facing uncertainty um, and and learning new ways as they relearn to tackle uh, challenges. Um, And by thinking big about aspirations or outcomes that they wanted to unlearn, but starting small as they relearn, uh, they can find rapidly experiment and find the breakthrough that they're looking for. Um, And again, the the idea here being is it's not a one and done system, it's actually virtuous. The more you practice the ability to adapt your behavior, uh, the more you become good at actually um, adopting this. You know, and then one of the big challenges though, however, for most transformations is, you know, most organizations when they kick off and do the big uh, innovation initiative, it always kicks off with the we need to transform uh, speech. But mostly people are talking about, well, you, know, you all need to transform. I'm just going to keep doing uh, what I'm going to do. And again, the, the, the thing to unlearn here is that the best leaders are the ones who are actually changing the most, who are putting themselves most outside their comfort zone, leading from the front. So if you're serious about trying to adopt this in your organization, it's about you role modeling the behaviors that you're looking for others to, to role model in themselves, you know, and, and again, this is why when you're starting off this process, it's really important to, again, think big, but start small, you know, focus on uh, changes in yourself that you, something you want to change, a challenge that you recognize, and by role modeling this approach, you know, you'll start to inspire action in your teams, so whether you start at home or whether you start at, at work is really up to you, but what I've found is that as you start to role model that and show your teams, you know, start to understand how you're starting to unlearn and you can work at that level right, right through up to large organizations. And the other piece, again, that's really important to recognize is the characteristics that are really important um, if you're actually going to try and unlearn. Um, and there's a couple of ones that become very obvious. So the first one is uh, curiosity. And now often when I ask people, are you curious, everyone's like, of course I am. But it's a very simple little test to find out really how curious you are. So I'd like you to think of a scenario maybe where you were working with someone who's maybe more junior than you, and you gave them a problem to solve, and then they started solving it in a different way than you would. What was your initial reaction? And most people sort of start laughing because they're like, "Okay, we said that they were doing it wrong. You know, and and that's a classic example of being closed down to new information that's lacking curiosity. You know, one of my favorite examples is I coached a leadership team at HSBC um, and the head of global markets would go and sit down with graduates every year and give them problems that he was working on. And because he wanted to see what way they would try and solve them, would they use new technologies, different methods he hadn't seen before? So he was opening himself up to learning. And you can imagine in an organization of that size and scale, when you've one of the most senior people sitting down with one of the most junior people, what type of cultural artifact that starts to create in the organization? And the next one is ownership. And this is really about like results. So if you're not getting the results you're aiming for, you know, who do you point the finger at? You know, if you're trying to lose those five kilos, do you blame the chocolate bar or do you focus on what, why, you, why you keep eating it? Right. I, I, what I found is if people who cannot own the results cannot improve, it's just not possible. And commitment is the next where you're going to have to practice and persist with behaviors that you potentially aren't good at. You're going to struggle. So can you be willing to commit to actually trying things that you're not good at? And that means you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable you know, actively, a lot of the behaviors, you know, the reason you're struggling is because your existing behaviors aren't working. So you're going to need to actually get uncomfortable and try new behaviors that aren't natural to you. And the way we do that is we create safety to succeed. We think big, but start small. And so we can learn fast what works for us. And this notion of starting small becomes very, very powerful because uh, mentally, it creates psychological safety that you can take small steps into uncertainty. And physical safety, where you design safe-to-fail experiments, so as you try new behaviors, you can get to grips with them. And then economic safety, again, where you're trying things without making huge bets and and small steps that help you really learn. So this is one of the sort of key mantras of of unlearning, is this idea of thinking big about outcomes or aspirations you wish to unlearn, how you can start small to relearn and find out what works and what doesn't, and, and ultimately to learn fast what's going to work for you and not. So I just thought I'd give you then uh, you know, a couple of ideas of uh, you know, what this is sort of about. We have a little poll that I'd love to just sort of uh, pop up, if we could, please, Emily, um, where I'd just like to ask people, you know, what characteristic do you think you need to cultivate most in yourself uh, to unlearn? Is it curiosity, ownership, commitment, comfort with being uncomfortable, or creating safety uh, to succeed? I'll give you 30 seconds more to vote on that. Okay, do do, do we get a drum roll for the results? It's always exciting when we get the drum roll. Nice. Okay, good. Every time I do this, it's different. So interesting. Um, Right. So, you know, a lot of people thinking about getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. Excellent. All right. Well, you know, reflect on that, everybody. Uh, Thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, Thank you. Right. So... So a couple of uh, things I just want to share, just one or two examples, I just want to show people about how we've sort of been tackling this as well. So one of the big things to really unlearn here is with so much uncertainty in the world, people are really freezing. At the first sign of uh, unknowns, everybody wants to stop. Right? Think about all the projects that are happening in your company. Once COVID hit, everyone's thinking we need to stop, pause, wait, and see what happens. And I, I can't stress to you enough, the way to fall further behind is to stop. The way you understand uncertainty is you have to learn your way through it. You have to take small steps to find out what works and what doesn't. The way to fail is to stop, pause, and wait and see what happens. The way to succeed is to act and learn your way through the uncertainty. Now, probably the best example of this at the moment is the platform we're actually sitting on right now. So Eric at Zoom, you know, his the, the product went from 10 million multi-users to 200 million um, users in 12 weeks. You know, And they've made mistakes. There's been failures with their security. Their platform has scaled in ways that they never could anticipate it. But the thing that's very unique about how Eric has led through this situation is he's out in front. He's talking about the challenges. He's owning the results, the failures, and then they're rapidly responding with small changes. So if you go on to um, any of their blogs, you can see that they've been posting on a regular frequency, owning a lot of the issues that they've experienced, and then rapidly responding about how they can improve their security, flaws that have been found, um, you know, stopping Facebook scraping your data and then selling it to other providers. They've identified all the gaps that they hadn't anticipated previously, and they're trying to plug them one by one. You know, and every week, Eric is out there uh, in front of everybody talking about the problems that they're experiencing, owning the issues and thinking about you know, what small steps he could be taking to sort of make things better. So I want you to really think about that notion about, you know, when people think that now is the time to stop and pause, that needs to be unlearned. You need to relearn when there's uncertainty. You need to take action, small steps, and learn your way through it. And I just wanted to share some other examples as well, uh, just before we we go into the Q&A. Another one is about empowerment. And, you know, we hear this a lot about how do we empower our employees to be sort of making decisions now, one of my sort of favorite examples of this is um, John Lagurge, who's the CEO of T-Mobile here in the US. Now, John, when he took over the role of CEO, he did something radically different. He didn't sit in PowerPoint presentations. He didn't hire consultants to tell him how to run his business. He didn't sit there with the executive team who all had the idea that just needed to be implemented to save the business. Now, he did something radically different. He sat, he sat in his office and had a phone line installed that went directly to the customer complaints line and he would listen to the customer complaints for four hours a day for the first month to understand what their pain points and problems were and then as a result of that he realized that people were having lots of friction understanding their payment plans or mobile usage or data usage and it was causing stress and anxiety to customers so On the back of that in March 2013, they launched the first ever uh, contract-free, SIM-free program where you would just pay a fixed fee every month um, and you get all your data uh, for $50, right? Uh, No contract, just 500 megabytes, 50 minutes, 50 bucks. Um, And they obliterated the market. And and all of this was just from him sitting there and unlearning what uh, many people thought was the correct business strategy to win by just listening to customer feedback. You know, and they continue to sort of do this. They've, uh, every uh, six months, they're launching new initiatives based on what they've learned. They, they let people try the iPhone, and if they don't like it, they can return it. They introduce free music streaming on their platforms. All of this listening to what feedback he was getting from customers. And the way he's empowered that now is he pushes it right down to their teams. So anyone who rings up a call center support team uh, for T-Mobile you know, whoever you get on the first line of support, they have clear outcomes that they're responsible for. and They're fi- financially responsible for the team about decisions they make and also ultimately customer success outcomes about their average handling time. So anyone on the front line can give you a new phone. They can consult your contracts. They can refund you money. They don't have to pass you to a supervisor. He's created a system that people at the front line can make decisions, but they're also aware of the outcomes that they're aiming for, both profitability and customer satisfaction. And they've the highest customer satisfaction ratings of any business in the world from actually this process, empowering teams at the front line to make these decisions. So super interesting about that. You know, and, and when I launched this book um, last year at AWS, you know, one of the most inspiring things for me was when you had Vernal Vogels up there talking about how AWS is sort of inspiring action in the world, how they find out what their customers actually want. And and you can see here that 95% of the features that they build are actually based on real feedback that they get uh, from customers. You know, it's not him up there making plans. He's sort of thinking they're getting feedback from customers and incorporating that into their backlog and building. So I think you building rich feedback loops with your customers is super important. So the last little things I just want you to think about is, you know, how can you sort of think big and and start small today, um, so you can start to unlearn. You know, w- one of the things I've found invaluable, especially in the time of uncertainty that we're in, is uh, getting a, a really quick game plan together. And so what I've been doing with a lot of my clients is when they're trying to battle business continuity issues or re- rapidly responding to changing circumstances, get a small team together, start identifying the key outcomes that you're aiming for for your initiatives. Try and prioritize your primary and secondary, get really clear on them. Work backwards from those outcomes about the small steps that you need to take to get there. You know What do you need to have done in a month, a week, even in the next day? And then to find small measures of success for each one of those steps, uh, so you can keep recalibrating as you go. Having the right sort of team together, making sure you have the right people is another simple small step to start. And the other thing that's been super powerful I found, especially with all the rapid response we have to make, is diaries, our decision diaries. So getting really intentionally about writing down what decisions you're making and why, you know, what was some of the information you had, uh, options you chose, didn't. And using that as a sort of reflection tool, I think, becomes very, very sort of powerful mechanism if you're trying to improve your decision-making to reflect on the information you're using and not using and the results you're getting. So you can start to look back on your process for making decisions and making it more resilient. So there's, you know, we'll dive into the Q&A. There's lots of interesting ways that you can sort of uh, connect with me and I'll, I'll you know, There's canvases that you can reach out on. You know, I've got uh, Serena Williams is reading these books at the moment. There's podcasts and so forth that you can dial in and listen to unlearn. Um, And, you know, and as well as me doing this in VR and AR, it's been pretty fun sort of challenge about sharing some of this. But, you know, I think the pandemic we're facing is a rolling wave problem. It's only going to continuously come back, just like disruption is a rolling wave, so if we don't learn how to solve this problem globally, you know, I think we're really going to struggle when we've got to solve some of the real uh, issues that we're sort of facing at the moment. Um, and I think we can do that by thinking big, starting small, learning fast, and then tackling some of these much bigger problems that we've got in front of us at the moment. Um, and hopefully this system can help many of us learn to unlearn uh, to get there.
0: That's awesome. Fantastic Barry, thanks for sharing so many amazing insights there really and your decision diaries really remind me of a technique that Ray Dalio uses in his principles book that he explains in detail around you know i guess it's a bit like a sort of a, a daily journal really work and you know taking it forward and getting it down on paper really helps you you know move it forward as an idea.
1: yeah, I think one of the things you know especially when you're in high velocity uh, high decision making high tempo you know high stakes scenarios it's very easy to make sort of uh, quick decisions that are intuitive to you but they're they're not obvious to other people and yeah. you know we tend to lose information and we tend to lose process about how we make those decisions you know what i've invariably found is by helping uh, like i you know, if you go onto my website you'll see a blog about good to great decisions yeah. Um, and it includes the sort of template that I use to help people when they're making those decisions to like actually just consider like what are the outcome you're aiming for? What are some of those small steps you might want to take? What information do you have? What's lacking? What's the trade-offs? And intentionally, is there any debt that you're make, You're accruing from making this decision? Because I think people rarely go back um, and reflect on their process for making decisions. You know, when you ask them, you know, tell me a good decision you made in the last year, most people will just tell you a good result they had, not how the decision, the process they went through to make that decision. So I think it's um, it's a subtlety, but super powerful method that you can use to improve decision making over time.
0: Yeah, definitely. And when you were speaking about, you know, the customer centric and, you know, Amazon as an example, amongst others, and it reminded me there's a supermarket in the UK, which is called Sainsbury's, which has been around for well over 100 years. And the previous CEO, Justin King, maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, had a lot of customer complaints. They had lost their way because, you know, people shop there, their parents and grandparents used to shop there. So he actually printed out all the customer complaints, put them on the wall to the executive um, or one of the, you know, corporate floors. So people had to walk past them each day. And you know, he did that for about his first six months to really make sure they were customer-focused and giving people what they want,
1: really. Yeah, no, I think that's a really powerful technique. You know, most uh, teams don't ever you get the opportunity to spend any time with customers, and, and it's certainly not built into the way that they build products um, or on, uh, continuously evaluate products. You know, I think it's always interesting to ask people on, on the call, like, you know, when's the last time they spent time with a customer? or tested their product with a customer or got feedback from a customer. And, you know, what you'll often find, um, especially, you know, at, at Teams, for instance, at Amazon, you know, that that's real-time analytic feedback that they get from customer usage uh, of their products, uh, as well as a high frequency of qualitative sessions where you're spending at least, you know, a, an hour, uh, at least every two weeks with customers face-to-face to gather more qualitative feedback, as well as the quantitative that you get from your analytics platforms.
0: Fantastic. And one question, if I may, on the characteristics. Um, I was reading something. I think it's on the BBC website about the importance of humility in leadership, and never been more important as a you know as a quality humility during the pandemic. What's your view around you know weaving some you know humility as a leader during these times?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, all the best leaders I've worked with recognize and have vulnerability and what they're really, really good at is calling out when they don't have all the answers. You know, I think the the situation here with COVID is a lot of companies had to totally change the way that they worked overnight. So you're in a crisis in some respects and I think great leaders acknowledge that it's a crisis and that nobody has all the answers And therefore solving this is an act of exploring uncertainty so there will be mistakes you will be learning your way through it and I think you know great leaders own that and rather than try to go out and solve all the problems they ask how they can help you know and I think probably the most famous person of this is Alan Mulally who uh, was CEO of Boeing and then went to Ford to lead their transformation and you know that was one of his core constituents. Is that the first question was how How can I help you be successful? Or thank you for updating me on the situation. How can I help? Or do you want to just get on and, and solve it? And you know, I think sometimes you have the archetype leader who knows all the answers, wants to tell people what to do, wants to be right in the the mix of it. And uh, you know, what I often find, especially now, is the projects and products are so complex that uh, you know, leaders actually can inhibit the team being successful when they get too involved. And I think you've seen obviously with Eric Young at um, Zoom and, uh, you know, that's just been stellar leadership, getting out in front and owning those issues and uh, shielding the team to get on and work and solve the problems. I think that's just a stellar example of uh, great leadership in, in this sort of time.
0: Definitely. And um, what would your view be around balancing? Because we're we're speaking to a lot of businesses, and they're talking about you know the Australian financial year starts in July, as, as you'd be aware. So people are talking about a back to core ethos for the next twelve months minimum, laser light focus. But how would you then um, marry that with you know the innovation and the, the need to diversify and do things differently? Because obviously there's a balancing act and what's your view in relation to, you know, learning your way through
1: this? Yeah, I think um, the companies that just try to focus on what is comfortable to them uh, are going to lose. I think that's pretty much the the simple answer, you know, it, it, I, and it's this notion of when you face uncertainty, the easiest thing to do is just stick to what you know. Yeah. Um, and You know, the world has changed now quite significantly. Uh, You know, already, you know, you're here, you know, as an example, you know, companies are already uh, defining that they will be fully remote, like people at at Twitter to Facebook don't ever have to go back into the office again, right? Those statements are being made. So now their talent pool is suddenly just expanded, right? So where do you want to work at a company that's trying to build and grow the future, or do you just want to stick with what's known to you in a company that's trying to hold on to maybe business models or products that maybe don't really have as much relevancy anymore or trying to protect, you know, and, and look, it is a balancing act. You can't just go to one spectrum or the other, but I think if you start shutting down and any growth, any new exploratory work, any, Uncertainty work, um, you know, you're 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 just sort of cut off your company lifespan. I'd say by you know five years straight away if, if you take that philosophy. Um, and I think you know, like all these things, the the progressive companies will keep investing to grow their businesses and look at opportunities. Uncertainty is opportunity, and then the more uh, let's say risk adverse companies will will you know double down on what they know and hope that that. Can uh, keep them, uh, you know, get more life out of their business. Um, and the short answer is, you need both. Yeah.
0: And so, you're seeing greater collaboration and innovation when you talk to clients of yours around remote working. How are you? What's your What's your view on that?
1: Um, I think uh, you know it's been a double edged sword. I think one of the interesting things that most businesses have experienced with COVID is that. It has uh, really focused the company on less priorities. You know, whether you've had business continuity as being the top issue to support your customers, or you know, rapidly shifting from uh, you know being a centralized company to working remotely, right? Like the the clarity of uh, fewer priorities and very clear understanding of what success is and how to achieve it, either for your company or your customers, I think gives people a lot of reward. Right. A lot of the financial services company I work with in the UK, it's actually been a huge innovation for them because they've been able to get e-signatures, where before the, you know, there's always regulated businesses, it's easy to say no. You know, why, well, if we have e-signatures, we're open to fraud. But now they had no option, and now suddenly they have e-signatures done in, in three weeks, which have taken three years to get signed off. And um, healthcare is another great example. You know, uh, we've telehealth now is up and running uh, very successfully. You know, I've experienced it myself. Again, regulators and the status quo would always say, well, we can't have digital health. So we'll have poor customer outcomes or health outcomes, so we can't do it. And so they never try. And now yet they're forced to. And I think the you know, my I had to have a, an appointment with the doctor Took me ten minutes. I was able to provide all my health data in advance of the session. You know that was ten minutes that would have taken half an hour of them asking me diagnostic questions of you know what's my weight, what's my height, what's my X, Y, and Z. So they've just got like a you know two hundred percent efficiency gain, um, and I and they can triage me if I need help. But I you know I'm I'm self selecting to volunteer my data. And, you know, it gives you a glimpse into the future about what innovation looks like. And I think the companies, again, that are sort of holding on to the, you no, know, we need the bank branch. No, we can only have in-person healthcare, No, we need to do the way things we've always done them. You know, it's, it's, it's just sort of, again, to be unlearned. And I think that if you're not willing to take on any risk, you can't get any reward and, and eventually your business will be eroded.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, admittedly, it's a sporting example, but I remember a few years ago, Roger Federer, who's obviously pretty good at tennis, right? But he found he was losing to a lot of the younger guys because they were using bigger, more powerful rackets. So he spent a year basically retraining what was clearly an effective tennis game to use a bigger racket. And as a consequence, partly due to that, he's credited, he's ended up winning more competitions because he can compete again.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the stories in Unlearn is I, I think really Serena Williams is probably the example of this. You know, like she was 31, knocked out in the first round of Paris, and she totally went back uh, met her coach uh, who she works with now, Patrick Maranfu. And uh, you know they practiced together. He gave her some tough feedback. She was curious about it you know they practiced together for a week she eventually uh, let him go her father go as her coach who coached her for you know since she was a kid and yeah. her winning percentage from her age of 31 to 39 as she is today is is i think it's like 25% improvement across the board in terms of uh, finals that she's got to games won and this is someone who you know, tennis players retire at 27. She's like a decade older than the mean and and still getting to the finals every year. So it shows you that uh, small changes can have huge effects.
0: Yeah, amazing. So I mean, I guess you've got the people around you, you've got the tools, but what advice can you can you give people? Because clearly not, not many people are Serena Williams or Roger Federer in terms of their natural ability at something. But can you, so if you're feeling a bit scared or a bit um, nervous about moving forward, what advice can you give people to find the courage to try and unlearn?
1: Yeah, like the, 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 the system I encourage people to start with is, you know, the questions I ask people in, at the top of the sort of conversation, you know, situations that you're struggling with and not achieving the outcomes you're aiming for, avoiding or tried everything you can think of and not getting a breakthrough. right? Whatever challenge you wrote there, I'd encourage you, like, go go to someone you really trust. You know, maybe it's one of your business partners or whoever it might be. Um, and ask them on a scale of one to 10, you know, how well do they think you're addressing that challenge? You know, and maybe you've good safety with them. So they're going to say, look, you're a five. Yeah. And, you, uh, and then you can sort of say, all right, well, how could I get half a point better? Yeah. Um, what, what would be some behaviors I could try just to get half a point better? Yeah. And, you know, maybe they'll give you sort of four or five things that you could try I, I'd encourage you, like, pick, pick the most uncomfortable one or something that feels a little uncomfortable and just, just try it for a day, maybe even try it for a week, I, you know, and then check back in with that partner and ask them, look, you know, I'm trying to tackle this challenge. I've, I've taken that bit of uncomfortable advice you gave me. You know, have you noticed how I've got on? Could you give me another, like, a, at a zero to 10, what, what am I now? And Maybe you're a six. So yeah. then just how can I get half a point better again? And I guarantee if you get into that system, you know, these tiny tweaks as you sort of relearn, get outside your comfort zone with people that you trust will encourage you to learn that, that muscle um, and get more confidence to sort of tackle bigger, more audacious things.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's creating that sort of muscle memory, I guess, in the same way as a golfer creates the muscle memory. Um, we've got quite a lot of questions coming through, so we, we might start to dive into them. Um, So Gary Winkle asks, at the beginning of the session, you talked about organizations who have transformed digitally or began life as a digital organization and are succeeding in the current climate, which I agree with. For those organizations who haven't transformed, where could they start?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, like it's so much of this stuff is really just about starting small, right? It's like looking at uh, some of the potential opportunities you might see for your business um, and thinking about what's the smallest possible thing you could do to find out if it's a viable opportunity or not. um, uh, Or even other options are if the leadership are sort of unaware of some of these problems is how can you create small safe learning experiences for them that they can realize some of their assumptions about how the company is working uh, is, is incorrect. Um, so an example might be, is, is, I think there's a show in Australia called Undercover Boss. Have, are you familiar with that show?
0: Yes, yeah, I've come across that.
1: Right, yeah. So like one example of what I did here in, a, uh, in the US is one of the companies I work with, they're a really well-established leadership team. You know, they, they uh, let's just say they build phones. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were convinced that they had a perfect business model, a perfect strategy for ex- executing on it. So what I did was uh, I gave them all prepaid credit cards of $1,000 and told them to just go, up, go out and sign up for their own service within two hours, which was their SLA. Uh, how do you think they got on? Probably not very well. Right. They, right. So one of, the, one of the five got it done. Right? And when they came back, they were all annoyed and angry and blaming the tellers and blaming the credit cards. But when they really sat down to reflect, they realized that, you know, these, these, these failures were gifts, right? They were signals that what they thought was true was not actually true. Um, and there was opportunities to innovate the way that they worked. Um, and again, doing something small like that, it's fun. It's safe to fail. You know, it's, it's just like five people going out to live in their customer's shoes and experience some of the friction. You know, like they're fun little ways to help people sort of shift their assumptions or shift... Uh, their inherent beliefs. And, you know, I think that's a a really powerful example.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Alan Lindsay asks, firstly, it says, great presentation. Thanks, Barry. The uh, ethos resonates greatly with me. Um, You talk around teams you lead and companies you run. Awesome. How would you recommend applying the approach in organizations where the levels above are not as bought into this change in mindset?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's a bit like the example I just shared, right? Like one of my KPIs when I start working with companies is uh, meantime to aha moment, right? So how quickly and safely can I get the leadership team to see something that they haven't seen before, that they thought was true, but isn't true? And often that's like getting them to sit down and speak to a customer about a new product that they're trying to work with and often it's getting them to get out of their office and go and spend a little bit of time with the teams to see what they're actually delivering and some of their struggles are you know all these ideas of like management by walking around or getting out of the building or customer development if you're into like lean startup methods you know like all of this is about going to where the work is happening or where the customer experience is happening and seeing for yourself what works and what doesn't and I find that's the most powerful way You, you can't hand people research or talk to them about what the future might be like they have to experience it so if you can create that small experience to sort of help people invalidate some of their assumptions I think that's a really the, the first step to start shifting mindset
0: fantastic um, got a few time for maybe three more questions so uh, Sarah Austin says hi Barry this has been great thank you wondering if you can share a little on what you mean by creating safety to succeed
1: yeah. So the, the notion of safety exists Um Amy Edmondson probably coined it as psychological safety. And, um, uh, and, you know, they also did a study at Google about what was the number one uh, indicator for high performance teams and, and it was psychological safety. And, and the notion being is how safe do people feel to sort of show up both the good and bad, the mistakes they made and, and share like, you know, wh- whether they're vulnerable with their team and, um, but when they make mistakes, right. And, you know, when you have high safety, uh, people share the, the real information about what's happening. They don't try to sugarcoat it. They don't try to hide mistakes or failures. They sort of share uh, what actually happened, the real results. And what's powerful about that is when you have real results, you can make decisions based on quality data to do something better. You know, course correct, do something different um, and essentially learn and unlearn. You know, um, in organizations, when teams don't feel safe to share the real information that's happening, they, I often say they do watermelon reporting. It's like green on the outside and red in the middle, right? You, um, So then you've executives making uh, hopefully good decisions, but on bad data. So therefore they're going to probably going to get bad results. Um, and then the notion of how you can create safety to succeed is psychological safety Thinking big, but starting small—like taking small steps—as you face uncertainty, and small steps make it safe to fail. Uh, you have recoverable situations, both physically, um, mentally, and economically. So, that's the notion of uh, creating safety to succeed.
0: Fantastic, thank you. Uh, John Murch, who I know, is joining us from the UK, where it's oh, about midnight over there. Um, asks, do you think? Fair play, John. Thanks. <laughs> Do you think post-COVID, where perhaps companies revert to type um, in an and you know the same approach and methods they've used for many years in an attempt to recoup the losses they have suffered? What advice would you give these businesses?
1: Yeah, I, like I, I think, um, like I said, I, COVID is not a disruption; it's an accelerant, right? And um, the the interesting thing about it is it's a global experience that everybody is going through, right? It's not just like um, uh, in disruption where you're like, oh, financial services is being disrupted or the airline industry is being disrupted. Or, you know, it's not localized to a domain or to a, a specific genre. Everybody has experienced this, you know? And, and I think, um, you know, you're seeing, if, if you're not willing to recognize that the world has changed, that people have resided in this for a prolonged period of time, right? Most people are at least 12 weeks in this new sort of system. Um, And they've probably recognized some things they like and some things they don't like about it and some things they want to keep and some things they want to throw away. And if you sort of bring people back then to say, oh, no, everything we've learned over the last 12 weeks, we're we're not going to incorporate any of that. and, And we're just going to stick to what we were doing before. You know, like... Like even just saying that out loud, it just sounds like lunacy to me, you know? And so I think it's, you know, guiding people sort of through that thinking and logic. Um, uh, and, And again, I think this is why the decision journals are so powerful, right? It's like capturing the real data of what you've been doing differently, the benefits it has brought, sharing those stories more widely in your organization, finding the efficiencies, finding the things that didn't work like that's gold, right? That, that's pure, like fresh working knowledge. Uh, and if you're not adapting your behavior based on that new knowledge, you, you, you know, you've just wasted everything that you've learned over the last sort of uh, 12 to 14 weeks.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Couple more questions, I think we've got time for them. So Mark Carter says one of the challenges he faces is fear of failure, beginning a process of unlearning. So how would you overcome this fear at the start of the journey?
1: Yeah, I, again, if this is the start small piece, right? Like, uh, you know, if you're going to innovate, you have to in, uh, face some uncertainty, some unknowns, uh, some risk, right? You, you can't innovate by just having a record of perfection and never taking on any anything uncomfortable and new. So, that, so really like trying to think about starting small, you know, and one of the things I often say to people is you, you got to think big to sort of break free of your linear mindset, or, right? Is you've really got to think, go think exponentially, like what's big for our organization? Like in two years time, you know, what would be radically different about the way we're doing business? And like write that down, right? R- write a press release for that. Um, and, and then look for some of those key behaviors that you identified are radically different, and then flip those into outcomes. So you know, maybe you might say, well, you know, 95% of our, of our team are, are working remotely in two years' time. Like that could be, That's radically uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, so, but let's say that that's the outcome you aim for in two years' time. So the question I'd ask you then is, right, if 95% of your team are going to be remote in two years, you know, what, what would you need to do in the next month? What would you need to do in the next week? What, what could you do in the next day to start getting there? And like take that first small step and and see if that moves you towards this big aspiration you're aiming for. Um, and then just learn your way through it. Like that's that's really what these systems are all about. And you know, whether it's personal change you want to make, business change you want to make, I think like what I've learned from again coaching this system to people all over the world is it's it's unbelievably powerful because you can put any problem into it. Um, and if you understand how to continuously adapt to changing circumstances you know that's, that's a perennial skill The the world is only going to keep innovating faster we're only going to have more pandemics we're going to have more uh, bigger you know more sort of violent shocks to the our, our way of living and if you don't have a system to, uh, to adapt to change you're just really going to struggle
0: yeah fantastic and actually you know a couple of the examples spring to mind when Amazon talk about the bigger they are the bigger the mistakes and also just a couple of weeks ago James Dyson the famous inventor who has um, recorded Britain's richest man when they ran the article about him what he led was with his, his biggest mistake was putting half a billion pounds into the electric car and realizing it was going to be too heavy too impractical and and he led with his biggest failure but then he said, well, actually, I've now realized that we're going to make the batteries. That's going to be a possibly our thing. So it's having that. It's it's OK to fail. Just learn from it and go forward.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a, a really powerful mindset um, and difficult for people to do. Right. Like we failure sucks. There's no two ways about it. Right. But I think, that, again, another reason to start smaller and Fails, fail fast like I always say learn fast right it, whether it works or not and then get on to the next iteration and I think if you can institute that into yourself you, you're going to do really well
0: yeah fantastic so final questions from Andrew Locke so changing behavior is about establishing new habits what habits do you recommend to build characteristics such as curiosity can you build that as a characteristic or getting comfortable with being uncomfortable
1: yeah, so actually, the funny that the two of them go hand in hand for me, you know. Like, um, so the the best leaders, and it's something I've definitely tried to institute in myself, is they, they they actively create scenarios where they're outside their comfort zone, right, to find their edges. So, you know, maybe for you it might be, you know, networking might be uncomfortable for people. You know, how can you like look for a meetup that's happening? that you're going to go and set yourself a goal of speaking to three new people right like that could be uncomfortable for people to start um you know um you know maybe it's like you don't like certain types of food you know you can go to a restaurant and order something you don't necessarily like yeah. these are just like some of the like little uh, being aware of these things to just just find your edges and can you take a little step beyond them you know and and um, sometimes you're going to do stuff. you might go to the networking events and you have no good icebreaker question, and you feel all all awkward like I always do with those things um or maybe you know you might go and meet someone who who could have a huge impact on your business and your life so I think you know if if you don't put yourself um in the positions you know you, you're 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 going to shrink rather than grow and I think you know one thing I certainly would advocate is we've got to continuously find ways to grow and Um, and and if you're not doing it, you know you're going to struggle
0: fantastic so i think we're we're out of time barry but it's been an amazing um session this morning thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us so we've got five randomly um chosen winners of your books and we'll then contact these people to uh, arrange um shipment so brett bonner jodine white uh sean bester Wendy Cole and Terry Dunn are today's winners so congratulations and um, thank you everyone for joining this morning. Um, we'll resend out um, Barry's um, details in terms of his website so um, you have a, a way to connect with him in the future and I know you're, you're active on LinkedIn and Barry's podcast as he said as well but um, just wanted to wish everyone a, a great rest of the week and uh, Barry thanks for your time
1: all the best uh, yeah thanks for having me david great to spend a bit of time with everybody and yeah don't be afraid to reach out and share on linkedin if you had a fun time today or let me know what you think of the book uh, if you get a chance to read it
0: appreciate it Thank you, Barry. okay all the best